Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Quick heads up, make sure you stick around after the interview today. We're trying something a little different with our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, and I'd love to know what you think. So without further ado, here's this week's episode. When you are starting a company, especially a small business, you do not go out and poll everyone. You just don't. So, um, you know, I love that Henry Ford quote, if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, Amy Smilovic. She is the founder of the fashion brand Tibby. She's managed to build the company, now 20 years old, into a fashion empire that's outlasted many of its competitors through some very tough times. But in 2010, Amy had to make a difficult and risky decision when fast fashion was starting to take over. She did a complete overhaul of her label, changing everything except the name. It was going to be either the best or the worst decision she ever made. Here's what happened. Amy Smilovic, welcome to No Limits. Thank you. It's great to have you here with us. Um, And for our listeners, I just want to say an extra special thanks to Amy. (laughs) The last time she came here, there was breaking news as she walked into the booth and I had to run up to set and you were so gracious. So thank you. And I'm glad this is happening now. So the founder and creative director of Tibby. Now the brand is a little over 20 years old. That's right. 21. 21. And you left what was a phenomenal career already in advertising to start this brand. So what made you do it? Um, I always wanted my own business. And I and I wouldn't have said that I knew that it was going to be in fashion. I wasn't one of those, you know, kids running around and like turning everything into a dress. But um, I always knew I wanted my own business. And being in advertising and working for Ogilvy and Mather and then for American Express, it really was a great foundation for starting a company. Um, and I had an art minor and it was it all kind of came together and pointed me in the right direction, um, which was Tippy. If you were starting a fashion label today, mm-hmm. what would you need to have in place to make it successful? Um, first of all, I would need to have in place experience. And I think there's a lot of anxiousness for people to, they, they want to graduate tomorrow and start a company. And if they really want a company where they can sit down with you 20 years later and be able to discuss the the life that they've uh, been able to develop and the company they've been able to grow, then I really think having experience is key. Learn who's doing it well, see who's doing it wrong and what you would do differently, but get some learning behind you. And I would balance out my weaknesses. So if you if you know that you are great with numbers and can really dive in there deep, then I would have some creative, floating, throbbing left brain you know, around me and, and vice versa. So I think that balance is key. And, and your first hire should be the mirror opposite, probably, of what you are. 
and there's and really like people are very talented. And and you know this in Indian any industry. I mean, watch American Idol. You're like, wow, there are that many people out there with amazing voices. You can't believe it. But it always boils down to who has the total package. So it is not just about the voice. And just like in our industry, it is not just about the design. You've got, really got to make sure you've got the total package. Tyra Banks once said to me, your followers and your likes don't necessarily make for a business. No, they don't at all. At all. It's amazing. They they don't at all. It really, it, it people have got to buy the product. And um, and then when they buy it, they've got to actually spend money on it. And then you've got to take that money and you've got to pay employees with it. You've got to keep the lights on. It, it's just, um, I think Instagram is amazing. And then it can be so misleading, too, because you really could, you know, wake up one day and be like, I have a huge business. I've got a million followers. And it's like, well, really? I mean, did they buy something? Did they pay for it? <laughs> did you ship it? What they bought? You know, you've got to, it's got to close the loop. How important today are the relationships and, for example, getting to know people at Nordstrom mm-hmm. or Saks or Bloomingdale's where mm-hmm. your your items will retail eventually versus going direct to consumer? I think those relationships are incredibly important. And I think that it is a real um, misguided notion for a lot of people that you can go straight direct to consumer, that you will turn on that e-commerce light and you know build it and they will come. They will not come. I mean, you, you just—they will not come. With- Even if they tell you they will, I—I I, yes. I hear this so often from young businesses. People start out, all of their friends, family, everyone they know says, "I'm going to buy that thing." Yes. Well, when it actually goes on sale, what percent of people actually show up to buy that thing they said they would? Exactly. It's—it's it's very, very low. It really is very, very low. And so, you know, you really have to have a multifaceted approach and. For sure, vendor relationships are part of it. And it's very important to have those relationships directly with the buyers and the senior management in these companies because that's how they really understand what your brand is and what you have to offer them. And I think a lot of um, companies approach it in a different way. They might say, you know, oh, we're XYZ department store and our customer is sexy. Therefore, when we buy you, we're going to buy you in a sexy way. And if you are a brand that is fundamentally, if that's not one of your pillars, if that's not part of your DNA, then you need to make sure that that store is buying you for the best of you. Because if all of your social media awareness out there, all of your advertising is promoting, like Tibby, for instance, is clean, modern, relaxed, and feminine, then if I have a store who buys me as sexy, and that's not part of my you know, repertoire of adjectives, then the customer has no idea who she's seen when she walks into the store, and it will never be successful. So you've got to really have that mutual understanding with these stores about what you are, what your brand stands for. Um, you have to make sure that you're able to get that respect from them. And without it, you you just cannot have a successful business. So those relationships are really important. And sometimes you get them just simply by calling and calling. You find out, you know, what they're involved with, what charities are involved with. You show up at charity. You really, you have to be very... Hustle. You have to hustle. And it's not easy. It's really hard. Um, and, And if you love what you're doing, you won't be angry that it's hard. But it is definitely going to be hard. To your point about 
knowing who you are and staying true to that message, even when it appears there could be a win, even if a business came along, a major department store came along and said, yeah, we really want to buy Tibby and we want to buy the sexy part of Tibby. Take us inside of one of those conversations and how you would turn that conversation into a win without undermining the brand. What I would do is I would lay out for them, you know, who all is wearing Tibby, what these women look like, what are the common denominators with them, where are their necklines that they're wearing in general, um, you know, really give them a very visual picture. And at that point, though, you really have to rely on the store to look at that visual picture and say, you know what, I respect that that's your visual picture, but that woman has never come into our doors. And then for you as a business person or a designer, you have to be able to say then, you know what, if she's not coming through your doors, I understand that you um, that we're a hot brand right now and you want to make this work. But unless you agree that you're going to start nurturing and looking for that client and that you're using me to attract this client, then we need to agree that I'm never going to appeal to the client who is coming through your doors right now. And you can't get everyone to change their mind. And and honestly, if these stores are doing a good job, they're staying very focused on who their customer is. And maybe they shouldn't be changing their mind. You know, maybe if it's a store whose pillar is sexy, why would she bring in Tibby? It, It probably doesn't make sense. And that's when you need to agree that, oh, we like each other, but this probably won't work. It's such an important lesson to think about the long game. Yeah. And and coming from you, 21 years in the business, what's been the most difficult obstacle you've had to overcome? More No Limits after this quick word from our sponsor. Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. What's been the most difficult obstacle you've had to overcome? Um, I think it was the fact that, you know, when I started out, it was very much of um, contemporary didn't exist at all. And it was just me. It was uh, Anna Sui had just started. Jill Stewart had just started. So contemporary was a whole new category. And it was really driven on having the right trend and getting it out there. And then you were going to sell it to like a scoop or Fred Siegel. And then you were going to shut it down when it didn't work anymore because you were off to the next trend. And, um, And then fast fashion came along. So then you were just trying to be really smart about how to make sure you were going to stay alive and get your get your clothing out there. So that was when you were going out. And I think having my business training, you were so taught to go out, listen to the customer, create what they need. And I think that was the worst thing I ever did because I went out and, you know, I found we used to go on tours with these department store buyers and we'd like, take us through, tell us what's selling. And then we'll (laughs) go create something similar. And and then you just found, you know, I woke up one day and I'm like, wow, we are, we mean so many different things to so many different stores. And then at the end of the day, it really then just comes down to price and luck if you're going to sell it because you're something different everywhere. So the biggest challenge was going through and really assessing what is it that we stand for? Um, how do we, you know, how do we make sure that our customers know at that time what we're going to stand for? Because we really didn't have anything to back it up. 
And so we almost really started the company from scratch when we repositioned almost seven years ago now. And that was really um, difficult to unwind in businesses or to tell other businesses, like, I know we were this little flirty, sexy lace dress, but we're not going to be that anymore for you. And, um, you know, and, and we're still cleaning some of that up today. How did you ultimately find your North Star? Um, it was my head of design and I just sitting down and we we put up a lot of pictures on a wall. And, um, you know, we we I did, of course, my focus group research and everyone was telling me Tibby's about print. Tibby's got to be about print. That's how you that's how we recognize Tibby. Neither of us are wearing print right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I knew for me, even when I would be interviewed back in the old days, I would always go put on my Tibby costume, my print address. And so even um, we hired consultants and even internally, everyone was like, we're about print. The salespeople were like, don't you dare take away the print. So I built a huge wall and I took all these brands that were printed dress companies, whether it was like a Millie or a DVF or a Trina Turk or a Pucci or a Lily Pulitzer. And I put all those printed items up on a wall. And then on another wall, I had... Brands that were very um, monochromatic focused. And so at the time, it was Philip Lim, Alexander Wang, Margiela, Stella McCartney, Donna Karen, brands like that, Rag and Bone. And I had the whole, all the different employees come in. And so on the monochromatic wall, I was like, tell me who the designers are that design these. Well, they went up right away and they're like, well, this is Alexander Wang. This is Philip. This is Margiela. This is Stella. This is Celine. This is. And I was like, how do you know? They're all black. They're all gray. They're all beige. And they're like, well, you know, Philip's has a sort of feminine spin and Alex is a little angry. And, you know, they were able to tell. So we went to the printed wall and I was like, tell me who these designers are. They had no idea. They were mm. like, I don't know. Could it be Millie? It might be DVF. It could be Pucci. And it was such a discussion and a debate. And they were wrong about all of it. And I was like, so prints do not make the brand. And in fact, it confuses the brand. It doesn't make the brand at all. And so once we got rid of that notion that prints make the brand, then we were. it, it made it so much easier to sit back and be like, okay, now that we don't have to rely on that crutch anymore, this is what we want the brand to be. And this is how Tracy, my head of design, and I dress, and this is who we are. And it's clean, and it's feminine, and it's relaxed, and it's minimal. How do you figure out and hone in on what the customer wants? Well, it really um, it really is myself and my head of design. We are the the two women that wear the brand. And when you have a global business and you've got access to e-commerce, it is so important that you're so fixated on on one look so that whether it is a woman in China or Russia or the Middle East or um, or Arizona, that when she sees that image, she recognizes it as Tibby and she recognizes what about her own personality and her own style that she um, loves about Tibby. And so you don't want to be everything to everyone because you then become nothing to everyone. And so... Every day, my designer and I talk about, you know, what are we loving? What are we hating? I am a real woman that, you know, there are mornings where I get up and it can take 10 minutes to get ready. And then there are mornings that are 50 minutes because all of a sudden I've got all that stuff in my closet and I hate every single thing (laughs) and nothing's working. And so 
my designer and myself were very curious about why we're hating things at a certain time. Or what are you hating it. right now? Um, I'm hating jeans that are really low and skinny. I don't like the perfect crop top anymore. I don't like anything that looks too perfect or dull. Um, I think with all this um, originality that is being talked about out there, you want to see the hand in things. If there's a slight mistake or um, you just want you want things to be creative and interesting, but very wearable at the same time, because I I do. I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. I commute to the city every day. I am 50 years old, but the average age in my office is probably 25 to 28 and um, I'm from the South. I Georgia, was, right? You grew up in Georgia, went to school from, there. Exactly. Uh, my husband's European. We're different religions. And I was born in the Midwest. And so every day, like all these different things feed into my personality. And um, so it's very important that as creative and everything as I want things to be, it also has to fit in with my real life because I'm also a mom and two boys at home. So I'm constantly juggling work and family and travel and and then all these backgrounds and that are informing my style and um, and wearability and utilitarianism with it is is the number one criteria for what we do. If you were to go back and give the you of twenty one years ago <laughs> some advice, what would it be? Um, I would have hired the right people in the beginning, and and the thing is, I didn't even know what I should have been hiring, but I think I would have done more research to found out what those key roles are in these corporations. I didn't have a technical designer. And there's no way any designer should ever start out without a technical designer because you can design the most beautiful jackets and dresses, but if people cannot lift up their arms, (laughs) it means nothing. Your clothing will be returned. You will go out of business. And we had moments where I had so many items that just could just be described in every horrible way because they were beautiful and then they just didn't fit a technical designer technical designer any other key roles that you would say are the absolute must-haves at the beginning um a technical designer and a designer are key but if you don't have a finance background and knowledge that it's imperative and that i did have but there's, you know, that was the most often uh, asked question by magazines. Anytime I was being interviewed, people were always like, how did you start a company without a design degree and just a business degree? And I was like, how would you start a design company without a business degree? Like, I, to me, that's the question that should have been asked all these years is, I mean, God help these designers who went out and really did it on their own without anyone helping them on the financial side or the marketing side. Um, so it's it's really finance, marketing, and, and design. You've got to have that triangle going. So important. What's the worst advice you've received along the way? Um, the worst advice I received was to really go out and um, and ask opinions and from your customer and really listen to your customer. I don't, you know, when you are starting a company, especially a small business, you do not go out and poll everyone. You don't. Procter & Gamble, yes. P&G, for sure. But, you know, when you are set, setting a business that is so much about you having a point of view and communicating that, then you do not go out and get 20 other points of views and and run that through the cycle. You just don't. 
So, um, you know, I love that Henry Ford quote, if he had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Yes. You, you can't rely on the customer to drive you to that next level. Yeah, actually, I was automatically thinking of Henry Ford and yeah. Steve Jobs. Both always said, you can't ask the customer what they want. They're not thinking as far advanced as you should be thinking running one of these companies. Exactly. And and your challenge shouldn't be to figure out what they want. It should be fig- figuring out what you want and then figure out how to sell it to them. That's a challenge, figuring out how to sell it to them. But what they want, you don't need to, to ask them that. Amy Smilovic, thank you so much for joining thank us on you. No Limits. Thank you. This was fun. And now it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of our listeners who's building something of her own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is Katie Menard, who is the CEO and founder of Pink Petro and Energy Experience. But rather than me telling you Katie's story, here she is. Hi, I'm Katie Maynard, founder and CEO of Pink Petro and Experience Energy. Pink Petro is a platform for women in energy professionals worldwide. We elevate the talent and their stories that tell the story of energy and how we power the world. Experience Energy is a careers platform to help companies find great talent, diverse talent, because we need everybody at this table if we're going to solve big challenges like climate change, sustainability, and the gender gap. Congratulations, Katie, for being our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week. Continued success to you and make sure to check back in and let us know how it's going. By the way, you can find out more about Katie's story and her journey creating and running Pink Petro and Energy Experience on my Instagram account at Rebecca Jarvis. That's where we post our No Limits Entrepreneurs of the Week every Friday. Remember, if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as an entrepreneur, send me an email at nolimitswithrjpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me there asking for career advice. I do read all of the messages and really appreciate it. Also, feel free to subscribe, leave us a review. It really does help. It helps spread the word and it means a lot to the team here. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Rebecca Jarvis. Don't forget to use our hashtag no limits. I also want to give a shout out to the team here that helps make this happen week after week. Our producer, Taylor Dunn, our editor, Michelle Boncardo, our research assistant, Annie Osakwe, and the team here at ABC Radio, including Elizabeth Russo, David Rind, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelp, and Steve Jones. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.